Hey everyone, we are back for another exciting episode this week with so many amazing things to talk about. And we need to announce that the BOA announcer, Chuck Henson, is joining us this week to talk about his life and career as an out person in the marching arts. We'll also find out what made Ashley say, I, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. It's like expanding in our own entity, but it's not super well known to the world. And why Steven said, Man, you're accomplished. The list just goes on and on, and it's still going on. All this and more in this week's episode of On a Water Break. Let's go. Set it up. Top of the show. Form, check form. Cover down. Do it again. Run it back. And... We'll see you at the show. Welcome to another episode of On a Water Break, the podcast where we talk about everything you and your friends are talking about at rehearsal on a water break. I'm Jackie Brown. There are so many exciting things happening at the beginning of June. School ends, fall band rehearsals begin, move-ins with DCI happen, the WGI advisory board meeting is happening right now in Vegas, not to mention twirling circuits are going to be having their finals soon. And of course, it's Pride Month. So we are going to be joined shortly by Chuck Henson. Chuck has been the longtime championships announcer for Bands of America. He has plenty of stories and we cannot wait to talk to him. However, we have a super exciting guest host this week. She has just experienced one of her final days as a public school music educator, and we certainly want to hear about that. But more importantly, she is a professional flautist, self-proclaimed music nerd, and maybe even a former twirler. I'm sure Ashley's going to want to know more about this, but before we get to her, let's see who's on the sideline. Steven. Hey, Jackie. How are you doing? I am great. How are you today? Uh, I'm only okay. It's been like crazy wildfire, like smoke and haze, apocalyptic looking in Philadelphia and New York Ooh. up where I am. It literally smells like a bonfire everywhere. Like as soon as you step outside, it's like, it's kind of crazy over here on the East coast, but I'm inside. I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here. Hey, Whitney. It's nice to have you back this week. Hi. Good to see you guys. We did have Ashley here. Hopefully she will be back in just a second. She had to take a quick call. Okay, so it is time to get to our flute experts. So get over here, flutes. Put your instrument together. And uh, Twirlers, she might even have a few things to say to you all. You can find her on social media at Teresa K. Newman. Welcome, Teresa. It's nice to have you. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on our show, Teresa. We're uh, really excited to get the chance to meet you and talk to you. Um, whenever we meet someone for the first time on the show, what we do to catch our audience up to speed is this segment we call Your Life Story in 32 Counts. So it'll give you about 30 seconds to give everyone your background, let everyone know who you are. Uh, you ready to give it a shot? I'm ready. All right, you're going to get eight from the Met. Okay. 
All right, so I've been a lifelong flutist. I have three degrees from Stephen F. Austin State University in Nacogdoches, go Jacks. I started my marching band career in 2009 and I just finished my last year as a public school band director. Uh, I will be doing private lessons in Houston on flute from now on. And I also run a store on Teachers Pay Teachers that is dedicated to music history and all things fun in music. So that's, I don't know how many more <laughs> seconds I um, <laughs> That's the last yeah. one. You got it out to the end. <laughs> all right, all right. Exactly right, I feel like. <laughs> That is awesome. So I met you on TikTok of all places. So <laughs> tell me something about your social media presence. What is your social media to you? How does it serve you or how do you serve the community using it? Well, I think it's really morphed into something different the last month or so, to be <laughs> honest. Uh, I think when the pandemic hit in 2020, I got on TikTok and I was just having fun with it. I did a lot of like flute content so i was doing those little like videos that you would mesh together four or five different harmonies and kind of do arrangements and things like that and i also did a lot of um film music stuff and a lot of like music history content and it wasn't getting a lot of views but i just really enjoyed doing it um and then this year i when i got my post uh my position uh with houston isd at a middle school and it was kind of a tricky year. Um, and I just got to a point where I was like, man, I got to get out here again and see if anybody else is dealing with some of the things that I'm dealing with in the classroom. And I posted a video and it got a lot of response. And so my content has kind of shifted right now from music related content to um, like teacher related content and like discipline management and which um, is blowing up like crazy. <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> It's not something that I ever wanted to focus on, but it's definitely something that a lot of people want to talk about. So I like being able to facilitate the conversation. No, totally. My, uh, my mom was a public school teacher as well, and she actually just stopped uh, teaching maybe about a year or two ago because once the uh, COVID pandemic kind of came through, uh, teaching got a lot more difficult for her in first grade. Um, what do you think are some of the changes maybe that you've noticed since you started teaching to uh, today as you wrap up your last days? Um, well, I mean, there's, I think there's some through lines that you can see in every single subject area and not just music, but I think as far as music or band related things, I see that have morphed over the last, I, I'd say like three or four years. Cause I started noticing some of this in my private lesson students as well, even before I went back to the classroom. Um, there's, there's this, challenge of getting them excited about things and I've seen a lot of kids and I know that they're kids because I specifically say this in my comment section they'll say I'm a high school student and this is how I feel so I have a lot of kids that are saying yeah we're just really stressed and we don't really care about anything anymore and we don't see the point in getting invested in anything uh, which I think is really sad because band used to be one of those subjects where you know even if a kid was struggling in other areas, they could find some kind of meaning or excitement in their life. And yeah, I, I just felt like I had a really hard time getting kids engaged in the content and the process this year, which is pretty different in my experience. Yay, Ashley's back. Hey, <laughs> sorry, I had to take a quick phone call. Uh, someone was 
stoning their feature twirler costumes. So, you know, they're coming off those E6000 fumes. Took a little longer than expected. <laughs> um, speaking of twirling, <laughs> Teresa, I heard that you are a former twirler. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, well, I, I'm a former twirler and I'm also a former twirling coach. Um, I was a twirling instructor uh, in the second to last district that I worked at as a band director. So I was doing double duty. Uh, I was the seventh grade band director and the twirling sponsor. Um, very intense. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, very intense work. That's uh, a lot. <laughs> both of those, yeah, no, really. And, you know, but it's, it was a lot of fun and uh, those girls kept me on my toes, kept me, kept me in shape for sure. But I enjoyed twirling in high school and it was something that I always was very grateful to be a part of. And I believe it's a sport just like anything else mm -hmm. out there. It's like cheerleading and dance and everything. Um, so I just wish there were more schools that still did it. It seems like it's a dying art. Uh, and uh, I, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. It's like, expanding in our own entity but it's not super well known to the world i think they might be in the process of like trying to get it into the olympics because they're kind of Ooh. trying to merge organizations so there may be there may be some exciting olympic uh things happening in the future yeah i don't know that would be <laughs> we'll i mean some of these people are performing at olympic level Feats. I mean, the choreography is just incredible. Oh my gosh, yeah. So, <laughs> that, getting but, those Olympic Games involved, that is right in my wheelhouse yeah. there. Oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> so, what was the moment that you got involved with like the marching arts and like, like you have degrees in your instrument, multiple degrees in your instrument. So, what, what made you decide to go that route? Uh, well, I was, I mean, through all the way through high school, I was like the band geek of band geeks in my school. I was drum major and head twirler and all that stuff. So um, as far as like marching band leadership goes, I was very entrenched in that. And then when I went to college, but in my undergrad, I was kind of convinced that I was going to go the professional flutist route. Um, I really respected my flute professor at the time. And I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, but, you know, then I got involved with the lumberjack marching band and David Campo, who was the director at the time, uh, was the director that I worked with most closely. And between him and Fred J. Allen, the director of bands there, they really influenced me to go thinking a little bit more seriously about being a band director. Um, so by the time I got to my student teaching, I just kind of fell into that route naturally. And because I was working in East Texas, um, I just got hooked up with a school that did military marching band style, which is what I grew up doing. And so that was my, my entire career was military marching band. Um, and I, I never actually worked in a school that worked core style. <laughs> so I did a lot of the old school stuff. <laughs> Um, but it was very enjoyable. And, um, you know, even though most of my career has been spent in the middle school band hall, I was fortunate enough to have experience at a, a district that did a lot of team teaching. So, you know, I spent every Friday night at football games and every evening at marching practice, running up and down the field with everybody else. So Teresa, um, so it is pride month. How does being LGBTQIA plus uh, influence your teaching? 
Um, I, I would say it most influences me in the content that I decide to focus on, um, especially on the content creation side of my work nowadays. Uh, so I create a lot of classroom content for teachers that focuses around um, highlighting musicians, composers, conductors that are from marginalized communities. And that includes the LGBT community. Um, so, you know, I try to infuse introducing those people and their achievements as often as possible with my students in my classroom. But I, I also want to make sure that I can provide those resources to teachers that are elsewhere that also want to integrate it into their curriculum and they're not really sure how to do it. So, uh, yeah, that's where but most of my efforts are, are right now. But um, my husband and I are both queer musicians and we are very dedicated to the idea of performing in spaces that are unconventional and performing music that is by composers that people haven't heard of before that maybe need to get a little bit more spotlight. Um, so, you know, we try to, we try to pull from musicians like queer, queer conductors, or sorry, queer composers who, you know, maybe not a lot of people have heard of and should. Right. No, that's, that's super cool that you guys, uh, try to go out of your way to perform in more like, uh, interesting spots. Is there one place that stands out to you as like, uh, wow, I can't believe we're actually performing here. Well, we... For a while, uh, when we were living in Austin, um, we were doing Ooh. a concert series called Opera Uncorked. Uh -huh. And uh, basically, he was working in the wine uh, industry around like Johnson City, Fredericksburg, that, that area. Uh, so fortunately, we had a lot of connections and we could do <laughs> concerts and like parlor concerts at, at wineries and other private spaces like that. So we would do ticketed events where it would be a theme and we would pair wine with the, the music that we programmed. And so it was a really neat way to kind of bring people in. No, that is really spirits. cool. I wish uh, you were throwing these events near Philly. I would go. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, we're uh, trying to get to the point where we could do them in Houston as well. And uh, it's getting know. a little closer. Still some yeah. ways to go to bend your yeah. way up to the Northeast, <laughs> but you know, one city at a time. Uh, so I guess, uh, what was your last day of school like then? And, and what do you think maybe is next for you as you kind of move along from public education? Um, well, to be honest, my last day of school was pretty uneventful, but if I could speak to the last, you know, couple of weeks of school, uh, I would say my band kids and I got to a point where, um, we were very, excited to be in the space and do what we could with the materials that we had. And so I, I had um, a, a competition between all my band kids called the incentive competition where they could pick different activities to complete for band bucks. And then I had a big store at the end of the year where they could use those band bucks and like buy treats and toys and little like music incentive prizes and things mm -hmm. like that. So I had that set up and they could come in and we hung out and got to spend some quality time together and just enjoy each other's company. And, um, you right. know, I tried not to focus too much on them doing like band related things, if you will, because I knew that I was going to be exiting and I just wanted them to leave with the sense that, you know, this was a safe space, a fun space, something they wanted to come back to the next year. Um, mm -hmm. and I think, you know, I think we achieved that. Um, 
you know, moving forward, I know that program is going to be just fine. They're, they have really good things in store for them next year. The district is really looking out for them. Um, and myself, you know, I've got three major projects right now. I'm trying to build up my flute studio to do private lessons. Nice. In Houston. Yay. Um, Sounds yeah, pretty cool. You know, I'm just going to get back to my roots and try to be a, a flutist in, in the world. Um, I, I'm trying to get hooked up with a pianist and maybe some other musicians to try to put together a jazz combo so we can play the real book at some you know, cocktail bar or something around here. It will be a few uh, years, but my toddler is learning how to play the piano. So okay, all right. <laughs> in about 10 years, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So other than just, you know, being a flutist out there and trying to get some flute students and gigs, um, you know, just getting, getting on my computer and creating some more resources for music teachers and building up my store inventory, uh, which I'm very excited about doing. I've got a lot of things on my to-do list. All right, let's get into our Gush and Goes. For those who are new listeners, um, Gush and Go is the time in our show whenever our hosts get to gush and go on about anything that they like that has to do with the marching arts. And let's start with Ashley today. What do you want to gush and go on about? So I have to do a personal gush and go first. I just moved apartments like a week ago, so everything is still a little chaotic, but we made it. We're here. (laughs) Um, But on a normal gush and go, we just had our um, another staff meeting on Tuesday night about um, our fall season for marching band, trying to get all of it designed together and figure out like what we, what we think about this song and this song and what flag goes here, what flag goes there. And I'm trying to figure out what I think and, and all of that. Cause I, I am writing the drill this year. If you listened probably a month or so ago, I'm taking on that responsibility. <laughs> so I'm excited for trying something new and hopefully it'll be okay. <laughs> Did you uh, start writing drill yet? No, I didn't because I haven't had the numbers yet. Mm, okay, yeah. So it's, <laughs> I'm mm. like, okay, time is ticking. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I kind of know that feeling with a with a lot of these design things this time of year. Um, I'll hop in next. I'll go. Um, a one of the internet's biggest pages on Instagram for bass drumming is back. It's a uh, at yeah underscore bass. And it's being run in part by yours truly. So it's got like well over a thousand posts on there already from many years ago. It had been inactive since like January of 2020. Uh, But it's back and we'll get some uh, bass drum videos going as the uh, DCI summer rolls along. So go follow it on Instagram. What's the Instagram handle again? At yeah underscore bass. Like Y-E-A-H? Yep. Yeah, bass. Just like yes. you would say in the lot. Yes. I like, see, color guard people, I have no clue. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, bass. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. It's, okay. it's the yeah, bass page. Underscore in the middle. Perfect. I love that. Um, I need to gush about the amazing drill writers that, I, I mean, I know this is so hard to do for most groups because most of my clients don't have their drill to me, but one of my clients sent me all of the drill and all of the music yesterday for the whole show. And I was just like, thank you so much. That makes my life as a guard choreographer so much easier. I've got other other shows. They're like, can you just 
write some choreography without drill. And I'm like, yes, but I also charge for rewrites. So just keep that in mind. And so, you know, we're always back and forth and, and usually don't have the drill until like the end of June, even though we're doing like guard camps during June. So Whitney, you have, I'm sure we have this in common. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and canes. Um, it was quite delicious, and I think that they should probably sponsor us. Um, I love oh. raising canes. Please sponsor us. <laughs> On a water break, Caniac combo. <laughs> I would go for that. Do you guys have canes where you live? Uh, Teresa, obviously you do because you live in Texas, as I do. Yes. Also, um, Frederick just Berg. got one in Missouri. Oh, nice. We just got one. There is there is one now in Philly too. Yeah. <laughs> There's one in Delaware. I'm like two, I'm like 30 minutes away, but I haven't gone yet. Nice. Wait. There's one in Delaware? Wait, where in Delaware? <laughs> I work in Delaware. Uh, this is big to me. <laughs> I think Glasgow or something hmm. like that. Okay. No, Googled I think that's kind of near me. Everything is near everything in Delaware, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not too right. far. That, that's all I've got. I, it's summer, so I'm just like trying to enjoy summer and get over this cold or whatever is happening to my body. <gasps> I always get sick at the beginning of the summer. I don't know what this is. It's just my thing. <laughs> Teresa, now that you kind of see what we're doing, do you have anything you'd like to gush and go on about? Uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm just going to do a shameless plug for my studio. If you're a band director in the Houston area looking for a flute teacher for your kiddos, you can email me at newmanmusicacademy at gmail.com. Uh, I also have a website, newmanmusicacademy.squarespace.com. Um, and if you're a band director or music teacher that's looking for stuff to do with your kids or looking to build up your curriculum materials for next year, you should definitely follow me on Teachers Pay Teachers. Uh, it's in the same handle, Newman Music Academy. Um, I'm going to have a lot of really cool new stuff up, including stuff for band directors, uh, stuff for future music majors, music games, all kinds of stuff. All right. Well, we're going to have to send all these kids back on the field because uh, we're going to have to get back to rehearsal. But can somebody on staff go make a Canes run now since we're all like obsessing over how good Raising Canes is? <laughs> I got you at my lunch break tomorrow. <laughs> literally, literally, we'll do that. All right. We'll be back with Chuck on our next water break. Hey, this is Christine Ream and Chris Green. Guard Closet was founded as a consignment business in 2000. Since then, it has grown to include winter guard, band, percussion, and other genres. We can help you with custom flag and costuming designs. Our consignment inventory has plenty of great looks for your color guard, drumline, and marching band. Pay it forward. When you purchase consignment, you help other programs. Last year, we sold over 400 sets of consignments and returned over $125,000 in payments to our consigners for their sales. Additionally, Guard Closet offers custom and pre-designed costumes, flags, floors, and formal wear, full or partial show writing, educational programming, and other services. 
Max out your rehearsal time and set up a microsite for easy student ordering for shoes, gloves, and other equipment. The Guard Closet team is here to help you get everything you want and need for your season. Check us out at guardcloset.com and follow us on social media. Hi everyone, I'm Lexi Judah and I'm the new host of On a Water Break in Rhinestones. I was a competitive twirler both nationally and internationally for nearly 20 years. Then in college, I became a feature twirler for the University of Maryland. Go Terps! Along my twirling journey, I competed in many world championships individually and with my Wheaton family, earning multiple gold, silver, and bronze medals. Now I coach the next generation of twirlers as they develop a love and passion for a sport I hold close to my heart. Outside of baton twirling, I have a full-time job. I'm a news producer in Baltimore. My goal for this podcast is to bring unique stories from baton twirlers from all over. I'm here to help tell their experiences from performing at the National Football Championships to the Miss America stage. Be sure to follow along to hear from talented twirlers who definitely have stories to tell. Hey guys, it's Jackie back from On a Water Break, and we have so many people here on the sideline this week. I just want to run down everybody so you know who's here for this interview. Steven. Mm-hmm. Whitney. Hi. Teresa. Hello. And joining us is Trish. Hi. Hey, so everybody, we are so excited to have as our guest this week, Chuck Henson. He is joining our water break. He has been the voice of BOA Grand National Championships for quite some time, but that is not all that he is. We're going to let you tell, let him tell his life story. So let's go ahead and welcome Chuck. Hi, everybody. Hey, Chuck. That's what everybody wants to hear, right? Joining us from blah, 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 blah. Oh, my God. It's real. He's really here. (laughs) Uh, My life story. Born in uh, Florence, Kentucky, just a little bit south of Cincinnati, Ohio. I went to school at the University of Kentucky. Uh, After school, went uh, into a college at, uh, or rather, I, I taught overseas in Indonesia with the Semporna Marching Band for a while. I marched in the Madison Scouts for four years, where I ended my career there as the uh, guard captain. Um, I'm trying to read notes at the same time. Uh, Then uh, what did I do after that? Uh, Into radio and television. Uh, I just wrapped up a 30-year career in broadcasting, uh, 12 of those here at at Spectrum Bay News 9, where I was a fill-in anchor reporter in the morning traffic person i just finished eight months of school i went back to school at age 60 wow and uh, i'm now a licensed massage therapist and we're in my studio in st pete right now wow man you're accomplished the list just goes on (laughs) and on and it's still going on uh (laughs) that's awesome thank you so much for joining us um it's my pleasure honestly it did uh what i do is really fun Uh, an ex of mine used to say the chuck show was exhausting it's a fact. <laughs> and I would have it no other way. Totally. I, I could imagine. So, so, I mean, you do so many cool things. You, uh, you joined Bands of America as a color guard clinician in 1984. Why don't you tell well, us about that initial experience with BOA? 
Well, it's, it's funny because what brought me there was I was drum major for my high school marching band, Boone County High School, by the way, in Kentucky. And the, a little drum corps called the Golden Knights came recruiting at my high school. And I watched their presentation. I was a clarinet player, by the way, and watched their presentation. I was like, that's great. Have a good summer. They're like, well, you should come join. No, you just said there were no woodwinds. Oh, no, you could be in the color guard. This is 1979. You could be in the color guard. <laughs> no, I can't. That's just for girls. It was 1979. There were no boys in color guard. <clears throat> They're like, yes, we're going to do boys in the color guard. Make a very long story short, four boys in a 14-member color guard in the Golden Knights from Southgate, Kentucky. We played, we tied with the Capital Airs for 10th place at DCI in Birmingham, and then they kicked our butt in finals. <clears throat> my next transition was to scouts, and Mike Berner, who's from where I'm from, was in charge of the color guard at Scouts. He was teaching, he was in charge of the guard curriculum at Bands of America, the summer uh, camp at Whitewater at the time. And he needed, uh, the drum corps then had two full tours with about a week and a half in between. And we were on our break and everybody needs money. And so Mike asked myself <clears throat> and my buddy Randy Black if we'd like to teach for the week. Of course we would. So that's how I got attached to Bands of America as a drum corps kid on a summer break in 1980, blah, 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 and uh, have been there yeah. now 35 years as the public address announcer. Wow. So early on, it was a, a clinician relationship with all of BOA or with a school that was working in BOA? Well, in, in the beginning, it was just me trying to make some extra cash, like any kid would do for the summer, picking up a kid yeah. thing. Now, as far as the announcing was concerned, um, the gentleman who announced before me, his name was Dick Janik. Dick purchased McCormick's. Do you guys remember the, the company McCormick's? Larry McCormick started it. It was a percussion company, and then they kind of expanded to other things. Scott McCormick is Larry McCormick's son. Scott McCormick and Larry put Bands of America together. At that time, it was called Marching Bands of America. And the summer camp was just a marketing extension of the company to sell instruments, mm -hmm. to sell drums. That's really what it was created for. But it evolved wow. into this amazing competitive tool the Summer Nationals did. And so bands like Hersher and uh, uh, great bands out of Florida, um, Choctaw out of Florida. Um, these bands that you don't see a lot anymore, but at that time they were just monsters. Mary Catholic used to win that show all the time, the Summer Nationals. And then the fall event started after that. They changed from Marching Bands of America to Bands of America, I want to say 86, 87-ish. And then from there, Music for All became the new parent company. And, and the educational component has just increased exponentially year after year after year. And now, I mean, it's it's the place. If you want your kids yeah. to be exposed to the very best in music education, send them to a Bands of America event just to watch. You know, there are a lot of bands that say, oh, my band's not good enough for that. It's not that. Let them see the arena. Let them see the other bands. Let them see what they're doing. They'll want to be that, and they'll be better at home. Their rehearsals will be better just by witnessing that sort of a thing. Then once they're in the totally. game, you know, everybody says you got to be a big band to do well. The Bands of America, you don't. You have to be a great band to do well. You have to play your horns. It's a music sheet. And if you play your instruments, you'll do really well at Bands of America. That's what I love most. My, my favorite, I know I'll talk endlessly, by the way. My, uh, <laughs> my story, 1992 finals, where the smallest band to ever come to Grand Nationals placed one spot higher than the largest band to ever come to Grand Nationals. Wow. Jackson Academy mm. at Duncanville. Jackson Academy, Mississippi, 35 kids, including seventh graders. Wow. At least once higher than Duncanville, Texas, with over 300 on the field. That, wow. to me, is the story 
of Bands of America. That's how it works. That's why it works. You just believe in yourself, you play your horns well, you'll be rewarded for that. That's interesting, and that's so uh, so true as well with, with bringing a, a smaller school or a newer school from uh, BOA to just watch. They'll see, like, oh, wow, you know, this could this is what we can be, and they're, they'll want to come and they'll rehearse better just because they're excited. If you want to play in that arena, you have, to, you have to go see it. You have to see what it's all about. You can't just tell the kids it's this and that and the other because it, until they feel it, and I, I really try very hard to create an atmosphere through the public address that that mimics the greatness that's happening on the field. I like to be a part of the kids' shows. I consider myself a part of the kids' shows. So that when we do our thing, I'm, I'm just as geared up for them to do great as they are. And I, and I hope they feel that every single time. I'd imagine that they, they do feel that. And you are a part of their show. Um, how did you get that role in being the announcer? Well, <clears throat> I mentioned the previous announcer before me, Dick Janik. So Dick had done summer nationals for a few years. I mean, he... I want to say six or seven years. Um, Marching Bands of America started in 75. So it would have been about 10 years he would have been doing it. Anyway, he had a really awful cold one year at Grand Nationals, or at Summer Nationals. And they asked me if I would help him out, like I am right now, by the way. They asked me if I would help him out at Summer Nationals and do like every other band. Tell I had no experience, none. I wasn't doing anything. I was working at a little radio station in Lexington, Kentucky. That was my whole claim to fame. And that fall, that went so well that that fall, they asked me to do day one of Grand Nationals, which was a two-day event at the time in Pontiac, Michigan, at the Silverdome. And so I did day one, Dick did day two, then he retired, and I've done 35 years of shows after that. Now, we have a huge announcer team now. There's, I want to say, nine or ten public address announcers at Bands of America now. We have over 25 shows that happen throughout the fall. So I obviously I, I'm at every weekend, but I'm can't, not at every show. So in general, they send me to the shows that have the most schools enrolled in Grand Nationals. So those kids get the same experience at the regional that they get at Nationals. Does that make sense? Which way did it go? Did being an announcer lead you into being a newscaster or were you headed toward being a newscaster first and then got into announcing? So, I, I mentioned I went to the University of Kentucky. I was a music major. I was a choral major when I first started. Uh, and then I realized oh. that one credit hour courses weren't going to get me anywhere fast. And so I switched to special ed. I was a special ed major. I was going to be a special ed teacher. And I'm working in this, the education library on campus. And the woman who was the head librarian, her husband, was the program director of two little tiny radio stations in Lexington. He called to talk to his wife. I answered the phone. He gave me a job sight unseen over the phone. <laughs> as a disc jockey and so here i am doing third shift on the weekends and college at the same time my friends all used to know that uh the, the, the song disco inferno was eight minutes long that was my bathroom song whenever that song came on i was not in the booth i was going to the bathroom right? uh and so radio came first and that was the only reason marching bands of america asked me to help dick out that year at summer nationals because i had some broadcast experience but very, very little, and no, no public address work. <laughs> I'm jumping in here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm gonna fangirl just a little bit. That's Jeremy. <laughs> sorry, Chuck. Hi, everyone. Like y'all can step aside for a second because I just so <laughs> I so appreciate what you just said about like the radio side of it is what then led you into being able to understand how to professionally do what you need to do. I think so many 
people just assume, oh, they were just a good talker or whatever, but like you are showing that education and experience Mm -hmm. where you got to where you got to. You're not just the announcer for BOA because you're the announcer for BOA. You're the announcer for BOA because you have the education and the understanding of how to do it. Okay, I'm backing out. Thank you all. Thank you. It's funny you mentioned that because the next year, (laughs) after the program director gave me that job sight unseen, the next semester I changed my uh, uh, major to journalism and, and went through the program. So my nice. degree is in, in broadcast journalism through the University of Kentucky. And just thankfully, I got to use it. I'm just a lucky guy. I was in the right place at the right time. <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know, that was our producer, Jeremy, who was just jumping in here for a moment. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about the Madison Alumni Corps. First of all, I'm very excited because I'm a huge huge Macy's Parade person. I've worked for the Macy's <laughs> band since 2009. And like, yeah. I, so I've seen everything that's gone through there since then. And like the Madison core was incredible. So tell us about that. 125 musicians in that ensemble. I mean, it was, it was so cool because it was, it was all of us. We were all there generation after generation after generation. Whoa. You know, it started with the Camp Randall performance. That's what that's what got us all together. We did an exhibition at, at DCI on Thursday night, uh, the year of the 75th anniversary of the Corps. So we got that group together, and that group spurred the Macy's performance, which then spurred a New Orleans performance, which I hear they're talking about the Rose Parade now. For, for wow. The, you know, wow. Rose Parade's a little bit of a stretch for us. That's a six-mile parade, and we're not getting any younger. <laughs> the, <laughs> we, we lost probably two dozen guys during Macy's that just couldn't, couldn't yeah. handle wow. it. You know, if you've taken a band of that event, you know it's a long parade. And yeah. it snowed and rained and hailed on us. And it's, it's, and a, it's a little night, correct? It's a little night before, correct? We had to show up at 2 a.m. for our rehearsal. Yeah. You know, and again, if you've taken a band there, you have to do a full run in uniform for TV at 2 a.m. So they can block their camera shots for the time when right. we're really on television. So you get one pass. And that's it. They actually asked us to do it twice because there were just so many of us. They were certain they didn't get everybody on camera. So <laughs> I was way on the ends for that. They We put the children in the middle. The children with real talent were in the middle. Us old guys, we were out on the outside. Uh, hey, Chuck, can I jump in here real quick and ask you about your performance recently at Stonewall? So um, I, I think every other year, the American Concert Band Association hosts a national convention. Uh, John Phillips was there. I mean, a lot of the, the, the big BOA names do this event. So it's a, it's a concert band event. Um, gentleman that, that coordinates it is from Ireland. Kelly, you guys know him, right? Um, what is his name? His first name is escaping me. Anyway, so the local pride band here and in Orlando and in South Florida, the three pride bands in this end of the state all got invitations to perform, blind audition invitations to perform. There are nine performance spots. Three of those were taken by pride bands, which was just overwhelming to those groups that they were able to make the cut in a blind audition, right? So they each had their individual performance slot, but they decided to do a combined ensemble and a special concert. And what we did was Randall Standridge's piece, Stonewall 1969. There are two solo parts in that ensemble, and obviously now is the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. This year is. And with everything that's happening in the world today politically, there, there's no better time than now 
to remind people how far we've come and where that movement started in a bar in New York in 1969. And so this piece is written for soprano solo and poet is the other the other part, the other solo part. I was asked to be the poet and it was one of the proudest moments of my life. The, the piece is very Jack Kerouac, cool man, you know, sort of stuff, but, it's, but it gets very intense during the riot scenes. Uh, it's very poetic in other parts. And, and so I became a little bit of a performance artist for that and it was a blast. We had the absolute best time. I had two rehearsals with the group in Orlando. We had one combined rehearsal in Orlando for the convention and then we did the performance after that. So. It was a lot of, for me, it was a lot of, uh, I haven't had a piece of music in front of me in a while. So my parts were written, right? They're, they're spoken word parts, but they're still 16 measures to rest here, speak in these two measures, 16 measures to rest there. And so I'm, I'm like, one, two, three, four, two, two, three. Just that I haven't done in forever, tapping my foot to try to make sure I'm <laughs> staying where I'm supposed to stay. I was a little bit behind in some of the parts, but it, it, it really came off beautifully. And Chris Green, I don't know if you've spoken to him, but he gave the most compelling speech right before the piece, reminding people of the importance of this civil rights movement and of the importance of the, the, the power of the ballot and that you should vote. And when you don't vote, these are, this is what happens. <laughs> when you don't vote, this is what happens. So Chuck, as an out person in the activity, what has been the biggest challenge and the biggest reward while being a part of it? Well, I, I I've said always, first of all, my family insanely supportive from day one, from when I was 18. Um, so that was the biggest hurdle that I thought I would ever have to get over. And, and it wasn't a hurdle at all. So for me, truth happens in the light. Live your life in the light of day. When people live in the shadows, that's when bad things happen. And so I've, I've always tried because of my position, whether it was with Bands of America or through the Madison Scouts, or this year I was the Grand Marshal for the Tampa Pride Parade, things like that, or this Stonewall piece. Um, you have to live the life that you want people to see you. You have to understand your role as a community leader, and you have to live that life to the best you can. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame there are people that don't feel comfortable enough to be themselves in any setting. That's a real shame because you only get this one time around. This is all you get. One time around. And if you're not happy, you should be happy. You have a right to be happy. And so I, I try to sort of put that out into the world wherever I go. You know, living a positive life, trying to be an example to folks that that says, you, you can do it. I, I do it. I was on television. When I got the TV job, I had just come from being executive director of the Tampa International Gay and Lesbian Film Festival for three years when I got my TV job at... Uh, at Bay News 9 here in St. Pete. And I said to the news director, I go, that genie doesn't go back in the bottle. So if, if you want, this is me. This is my partner. This is the life. And they're like, we got you. It's fine. And they walked the walk and they talked the talk. They came to Pride. They, they used me as a tool to bring other people into, you know, interview situations and things so that we got the right people in front of TV cameras, not just a splash of a freak show somewhere that inflames people that like culture wars. You know what I mean? We had good, solid discussions. That's so inspiring just to hear. And I got, I'm a lucky guy. I love my life. Does anybody else have any questions for Chuck before we? No, just thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for being with us. I think that your story is just uh, really compelling. Thanks. It's nice of you to say it's, it's no different than anyone else's. 
we all have the same story. I've just been given a platform to tell it. Um, Chuck, will you be at BOA Austin or San Antonio? I'm doing Shenandoah, which is Houston, right? San Antonio? That, uh, Shenandoah, Texas. No, I'm not, that's the um, only one. One Texas show and that's it. Sorry. Darn. I'm doing the new um, New Mexico show again, San Marcos, New Mexico. And, and then there's a new show in Flagstaff this year. I'm doing, doing both of those shows. I like to do the new shows. I like to give them a little christening. So if we add an event, I like to be the first one in the building um, just because it, I, I feel like there's a stamp of brand that I can put on something that uh, will send it off in a good direction. Um, I also like having fun in the buildings. Like, for example, I do the Louisville, Kentucky show every year, home of the University of Louisville Cardinals, and I'm a Kentucky Wildcat, and I love saying go cats on the microphone in the stadium. It makes me so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chuck, there is an awesome little thing that we like to do for all of our hosts and guests on here. We call this Gush and Goes. Uh, this is a chance that you have to gush and go on about anything that you just want to tell the world about the marching arts. So what would you like to gush and go about, Chuck? You know, the man I am today is a direct result of my involvement in music and music education, plain and simple. The teachers that stood in front of me, every single one of them, from the smallest elementary music class to what I consider a master class in music education at the drum corps level. Um, I've had some of the most amazing people come into my life in that way as teachers. And, and I'd like to think I can reflect them in my work today. I think that message will resonate a lot with a lot of our listeners. Um, some good people in this activity, some really, really, really good people in this activity. I completely agree. Um, Well, everyone, you definitely need to get back out on the field because Chuck is going up to the press box to test the mics, and we want to sound good for him. So we're heading to a commercial break, but we'll be back with you soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Hello, it's Tim Hinton, the Beast of the Marching Arts. I'm the host of the Marching Roundtable podcast, and this next week we begin our summer podcast series with interviews about the DCI 2023 season. We've reached out to every DCI Corps and offered to do an interview. These will be released all throughout the summer at themarchingroundtable.com. There'll be an audio and a video version of each podcast. We start this first week with the Cavaliers, Drum and Bugle Corps, which is celebrating their 75th anniversary this year. It was so great that six of their designers stopped in the middle of spring training with the Corps to talk with me and talk about the show. They have really created something special this season, a real treat for any Drum Corps fan. The show includes some classic favorites like the opener, which is a new arrangement of the Rudder Gloria arranged by Richard Salcedo. Yes, he is back as the arranger and brass caption supervisor with the core this year. The show is also full of Easter eggs, those little visual and musical bits they include which will make drum corps fans feel smart and remind them of those Cavalier corps we've all loved through the years. Here are three excerpts from the podcast. First, we hear from Richard Salcedo, then program coordinator David Starnes, and finally, battery percussion arranger and percussion caption supervisor Mike McIntosh. Um, it's just for the Cavalier fans. You know, I, I want them to maybe hear some things that they remember, but but hear them in, I hope, 
the most beautiful way where they can say, you know, I kind of knew that was coming, but I didn't know it was going to come like that. You know, and um, I just, it's all about goosebumps, uh, at least for me as a, as a writer, uh, as I was putting the closer on paper, it's like, how many goosebumps, how many teardrops can we get from people here? When you have a chance to play a melody from a choral work, or when you have a chance to create an original melody, or when you have a chance to, to remind people of why they love music through melodies that bring them back to memories and a time that they were a different place in their life, why do we not capitalize on that stuff and i just that's i think more than anything we're just excited about people leaving the stadium humming a melody this summer easter eggs are very intimate because they mean something different to everybody and everybody here on the staff is bringing back in their mind what made the cavalier special for them so just as another another part of the title where you'll find me this is where you will find us as fans of the activity and fans of the cavaliers as we regenerate you know old bottle new wine what we're what we want to bring to life in in 2023 you can find the podcast series all summer at the marching roundtable the marching roundtable podcast is proud to be an official media partner of drum corps international It's Ashley with some twirling news. Um, Just wanted to share what happened this past weekend and what's to come um, in the summer. So this past weekend was the Northeastern Regionals for USTA, which I might have a personal bias, but I think it's one of the best regionals to go to um, because it has such great competition. um, And the facility is really nice. It's held at Kutztown University in Pennsylvania. Um, because they're getting ready for USG Nationals, which is July 11th to the 15th. And then be- right before that is TU Nationals, which is Twirling Unlimited. That's being held from July 7th to July 9th. And then after USTA is NBTA Nationals, which is set for July 24th to July 27th. So if you're participating in all these organizations, you have back-to-back-to-back nationals. And then right after nationals, there's the world competitions, which are held in Liverpool, England. There's the Elite World Championships. And then there's also Nations Cup, which is kind of like uh, an advanced competition rather than elite so it's still like really really great performers but it gives a chance to those athletes who are more advanced and less elite to be able to compete on the world stage which is really really awesome and uh, they are so lucky to have those opportunities Um, but it's going to be a packed summer for these twirlers so they will definitely be needing some water breaks and they can listen to our podcast while they're on those water breaks (laughs) So that's all the twirling news that I have this week. So check back next week for more. You believe we scored the announcer for BOA? Have you all heard his voice? Isn't it crazy to hear him like live and in person? Yeah, I think our our stock is going up or or like our draft pick or whatever (laughs) on a water break is going places now. (laughs) Our our team spirit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's uh it's cool to have guests on like that on uh i certainly have been looking forward to the people we get to talk to every week 
Well, let's go ahead and shine a spotlight on our friends at the Drum Major Leadership Academy. They are here to give us some leadership and drum major tips each week. Take it away. Hi everyone, my name is Joshua Hecht. I serve as director of the Drum Major Leadership Academy and was a DCI and DCA drum major for a number of seasons beginning back in 2018. I wanted to tell you a little bit about what it's like to be a drum major during drum corps move-ins. If you're not familiar, move-ins in drum corps are, are much like band camp in a high school or college band. The only difference is that instead of it only being during the day, it is 24-7. You live, you eat, you rehearse, and you sleep beside your entire ensemble. You don't go home at the end of the day, but instead you literally move in to the place where the drum corps rehearses. As a drum major, this brings a lot of unique challenges because not only are we focusing on the normal performance challenges that any high school or collegiate band would face, but we also have to take care of our members outside of rehearsal. Whether it's a meal break, whether it's getting ready for bed at night, or just helping someone wake up in the morning, there are so many unique challenges that come from living, eating, and just existing with your ensemble on a constant basis. Additionally, for drum majors, there are a lot of different logistical needs and requirements that the core administration or staff might put in place and ask drum majors for support with. For example, every single morning, the drum majors have to set up and move their podiums. Every single morning, the drum majors have to wake up the entire core from the gymnasium or wherever they may be sleeping. Every single day, the drum majors have to conduct rehearsals, make sure that members are prepared, and make sure that everyone is doing okay, both mentally, emotionally, and of course, physically as well. Overall, being a drum major might sound like it's a pretty stressful role, and truthfully, it is at times. But with that stress, with that challenge, and with that responsibility comes an incredible and life-changing experience, not only for you as the drum major, but for every single member of the core that you serve. It's one of the most amazing and rewarding experiences that there is in the marching arts. And it's something that I'm really excited that a lot of our Drum Major Leadership Academy students and instructors are experiencing today. If you're interested in becoming a drum major for Drum Corps International, Drum Corps Associates, or any other marching arts program out there, whether it be high school, college, or other, I encourage you to sign up for a lesson or a workshop or a summer camp that the Drum Major Leadership Academy puts on. We have had over 5,000 students in the past couple of years alone and have become the leading producer in virtual events for drum majors and other leadership positions in the marching arts. We hope to work with you. We hope to support you on your leadership journey, and we look forward to meeting you soon. To learn more about our current summer camps, please visit dmlatraining.com camps or check us out on social media at dmlatraining. Well, we talked about move-ins last week with Manny Rebel uh, from Genesis Drum and Bugle Corps, and we definitely have some special guests to talk more about the beginning of the DCI season who are coming on very soon, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Time to get our history lesson on for this episode. Each week, the Marching Pageantry Arts Museum folks are going to give us a little bit of history so we can know what came before us. Check out this week's story. But how they started thinking about putting together productions was started just started changing, and that was a slow, gradual change because you had to be careful because you still had the people evaluating you came from that other earlier era. Not that they were wrong, but that's the era they came from. They were through; they were comfortable, and you had to turn around and 
Now start putting something newer out there, something different, which actually, again, that kind of started in the late 60s. To learn more about the Marching Pageantry Arts Museum, go to marchingpageantryartsmuseum.org and follow us on social media. Thanks, Bill. If you don't follow Drum Corps today on Instagram yet, you should. They are keeping us all up to date with everything that's going on in Drum Corps. So take it away, Jeremy. Hey, everyone. Drum Corps today with another Drum Corps news segment. A couple days ago, Carolina Crown revealed some close-up snapshots of their 2023 uniform. While it's hard to clearly make it out, they definitely hold some of the same general style they've had the past several years, with some different additions like a chainmail side cape and middle-aged style clothing to fit with the Knights of the Round Table. It's been a little over a week since DCI announced that for the 2024-2025 seasons, they'll be adding a new class, DCI All-Age Class, for current Drum Corps Associate Corps. While it seems the community is fairly split on this decision, it's likely that it'll be a net positive for both organizations. Over the past several years, DCA has been having a difficult time getting enough cores together for viable events and getting enough fans to attend those events. While DCI doesn't feel this issue as much, there are some events midway through the season, after most of the cores have headed south for regionals, that struggle to fill the stands. By adding an all-age class, there can be more cores and more fans at fewer different locations. And of course, with the money perspective. There's going to be an increase in cost for the DCA cores, mostly for having to move their championships from the East Coast towards Indianapolis. While it would seem counterintuitive to raise their costs to help them save money, moving championships to Indianapolis as well as adding a few events throughout the season, that'll increase the number of fans at their events buying tickets, as well as the number of fans buying concessions. While we don't know the effects of this merger until after it happens, odds are it'll grow both organizations and reduced overall costs. Now for show announcements. This past week, there have been two more cores to announce their 2023 productions. Crossman will be trying to return to finals with their production, Meetings at the Edge, and Gold will be going for gold with their production, The Hands That Pull the Strings. Up next, we have rehearsal camps that are coming up. This weekend, there are 10 camps, and one more core is moving in for spring training. Out West, Gold is a camp in Eastvale, California, from Saturday, June 10th to Sunday, June 11th, and Vessel is a camp in San Dimas, California, from Saturday, June 10th to Sunday, June 11th. In the Midwest, Eclipse has a battery camp in Indianapolis on Saturday, June 10th, and a full core camp on Sunday, June 11th. Northern Lights has a camp in Muskegon, Michigan, on Saturday, June 10th. Down South, Southwind is a camp in Daphne, Alabama, from Friday, June 9th to Sunday, June 11th. Heatwave is a camp in Lecanto, Florida, from Friday, June 9th to Sunday, June 11th. And Impact is a camp in Orlando, Florida, on Sunday, June 11th. Out East, 7th Regiment is a camp in Oakdale, Connecticut, from Saturday, June 10th to Sunday, June 11th. Spartans have a camp in Warwick, Rhode Island, from Friday, June 9th to Sunday, June 11th. Jersey Surf has a camp in New Jersey, from Friday, June 9th to Sunday, June 11th. A few more cores start spring training this week as well. Friday, June 9th, Cold Cadets start their spring training in Dubuque, Iowa. On Saturday, June 10th, Pacific Crest head over to Covina, California for their second week of spring training. And on Sunday, June 11th, the Colts migrate back to Western Illinois University for the rest of their spring training. Even though most of the cores have moved in for spring training, there are still 368 brass spots, 82 field percussion spots, 80 front ensemble spots, 397 color guard spots, 6 conductor spots, and 70 additional spots, ranging from team time to administrative intern positions, which in total comes out to just over a thousand open spots for this summer. 
All of this information can be found on our Instagram page at drumcore today, and links to everything can be found at the link in our bio or at linktree slash drumcore today. Stay tuned for more drumcore news. We are really excited to have joining us today. It is Trish. I know we've talked before, but Trish, can you kind of give us a little bit of your background here? Absolutely. My name is Trish O'Shea. Many of you might know me as the director of the Northern Valley Combined Schools Winter Guard and the Northern Valley Old Japan High School Marching Man Color Guard, as long as Envy Winter Guard. But my background is really in DCA. Um, I spent many years in DCA. I marched with the Bushwhackers and oh. Syracuse Brigadiers. And now I am uh, jumping a little bit into the alumni category. And I've been working with the Skyliners Alumni Color Guard for the last four years. That's awesome. When were you marching Bush? I've been around that world a little bit. I marched Bush in 96 and 97. And I so was Stephen on was staff not born yet. <laughs> no, I was but, not. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I was on staff in 98 and 99. And then I said, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. And then a bunch of my friends went up to Syracuse and marched in the Brigadiers in, in the year 2000. And then I just saw how much fun they were having, how successful they were. And for me, being done, ended up marching five summers in Syracuse. Man, so where, where really were great. you living when you were marching in Syracuse? Because Bush and... In Hackensack, New right, Jersey. Right, yeah, they're not close together. So you, you had a commute. Not yeah. at all. Not <laughs> at all. It was a nice little Jersey contingent. We used to call ourselves the Jersey Van. There was a nice little Jersey contingent that used to go up mm -hmm. there. and It was so much fun. That's awesome. So, Trish, what is all of this craziness about the DCI-DCA merger that's going on? We're hearing all this stuff about it. Well, first of all, I started hearing uh, some rumblings about this last year. I went to the, the DCA Bridgeport show in July last summer to see a couple of my students who were actually marching cabs. And I wanted to be at their first show, and I wanted, you know, I could have waited a week and went to Clifton, which I ended up doing anyway, but I wanted to be at their first one and support them. And um, I got there, and it was like nobody there. It was, I, I mean, the cores were there, and that was fine. That was great. They all did wonderful. And it was, you know, they ended up pushing the show back because of the sun. And it was, I think they just wanted to get more bodies in there. And I started hearing rumblings of, DCA is going to be done. DCA is going to be done. And I'm like, but the cores, the cores are putting out really quality work. I mean, they may be smaller than they have been in past years, but they're really putting out really quality work. So I can't see that happening. So I started hearing rumblings about that at that show. But the, from what I understand, and I did a lot of, I reached out to a few people today. I didn't really get any responses, but um, I started reading things on Facebook. I wanted to be, completely informed when I came on tonight and I just don't think I am, but um, apparently they've decided to, I don't know if it's really being referred to as a merger. Um, I think it's being more, you know, that they're going, that the DCA championships are going to be held in conjunction with the DCI championships in Indianapolis. So, I mean, I've been snooping around like, you know, how's this going to work like me? With the you know with the alumni group, I I I can't. That's gonna have to be a separate event. I mean, I can't see um, the alumni cores, you know, 
making, you know, taking the, I, I, I can't see them, but who knows? Maybe it's going to be a thing. I mean, I remember when, speaking of when I was in Brigadiers, we went to, um, there was a DCA show that was closed in conjunction with um, DCI Championship Theater. It was in Buffalo in 2001. And we actually went and we actually performed. And we got to not only do the DCA show in the afternoon, but we did, um, uh, we won, so we did the uh, we did an exhibition at World Fine. I mean, we were on right before the twelfth place four. It was awesome. It was amazing. So I'm hoping that this is going to be, you know, that those people, you know, the people who are doing it now are going to get the same buzz out of that that we got doing that that year. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, it was just it was so great being out there and being out with the you know in the thick of it. it was just it was incredible. I think it is going to be really good for the groups that can get out there and do it. I think it'll probably shake up the DCA scene as we see it, though. I kind of expect that we'll see it turn into more of like a DCI all-age type of world where maybe there are more cores that can participate right. from areas outside of the East Coast. But it may make it a lot harder and I'd, I'd imagine sometimes infeasible for some of the East Coast DCA groups to actually make it out there. Yeah. So. I feel like there's a lot of excitement and a lot of potential for it to really like grow what DCA is as an all age group. But I'm interested to see, honestly, a little worried about what the uh, impact is going to be for some of the smaller groups over mm -hmm. here, all me the way well. on yep. the East Coast. Yeah. I mean, I, what do you think? I, is I mean, it's just, happen? I think it's just, I mean, I was trying to, um, because those of you who don't know me, I'm also really, really into sports. And I listen to a lot of sports talk radio. And the hot topic this week is this whole, I don't know if any of you follow golf, but the uh, obvious, the classic PGA, the classic PGA tour. And then there was this whole separate live golf thing that happened with Saudi Arabia and all of that. And a lot of players choosing sides and this and that. And now they've come together. They've come together, and I don't, you know, we don't. I don't want to get into the political. We everybody can have their own point of view of that. But um, I, there was a sports columnist yesterday on talking about it, and I, I really liked one of the quotes that he said. He said, "Hopefully, that after all the controversy and all the choosing sides and all of that dies down, uh, in a few weeks, it's going to go back to being just about the golf." And I'm hoping. That that's what's going to happen here. That after all the adversity and everybody starts, you know, airing there how they feel about this and that and everything else, in a few weeks it's going to be about drum corps and it's going to be what's best for the activity. And that's what I'm hoping to see out of this. I think that you're right. I think it is going to be better for the activity. I think it's going to give a lot more exposure to the DCA groups that get to go. So even just for the DCA cores themselves, I think it's better. But a whole world of like all age stuff gets to happen now because of this decision. So uh, that's a cool little comparison. I think it's really, really uh, apt. It's a, it's very much so like the same type of deal. All right. Why don't we take a, a, a move towards news for this week? Um, Whitney, I think you have a story we were looking at about the WGI proposals that were coming around, right? Yeah. So the advisory board is meeting in Vegas this week. And some of the proposals are actually really interesting. <laughs> that I thought was um, really interesting was um, to 
change the maximum number of performers from 40 to 50, which I'm like, what? where are those other 10 people going to go? Uh, I'm not sure. 40 is a lot. So 50 would be just obnoxious, I think. Um, another one that I thought was really interesting um, is independent multi-team organizations will be allowed to repeat a class under the same name after promotion if 95% of the promoted membership does not participate. So literally like one person would have to come back and that would be it. So I thought wow. that one was really interesting. There's some Wait, can you explain that one again? I... So um, if like if a color guard gets promoted at the end of the season right. um, and 95% of them don't come back next year, then they could stay in the same uh -huh. class. Oh. Which I'm like, ninety five percent. Ninety five percent is such a strong. Yeah, that's like you're never gonna lose everyone except and one. And if you're losing ninety five percent, maybe we need to talk about some other right. things. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's a you know that's a rule. Certainly, a, one of the rules that can be implemented. I think it's a little uh, out there, but yeah, I feel like ninety five percent is a really high number. Uh, I mean, yeah. like 80% is more realistic, but like 95% is, that's a lot. Um, there's another one that wants to eliminate, revise, or affirm the 70-130 weighted emphasis on achievement for A-class. Um, so if you know anything about A-class, the, the emphasis has been more on achievement versus vocabulary, so that would kind of... Um, make it more 100-100 versus 70-130. Um, but that's to just decide if, if they're going to do that or not. The proposal is a placeholder to ensure conversation is possible for the incoming A and open caucus. So that's a whole other thing. Um, the, the number one proposal, which I think is really interesting, um, qualification for world championship to add Groups competing in independent world and independent open must achieve the regional minimum qualifying score. Um, I know there have been some groups in the past that um, have gone to world championships and not made um, regional finals in open and world class. Independent is specifically what this is targeted towards. Um, so that would that would kind of be like a that's interesting. Okay, so. Those are, those are the color guard proposals. There's only 10 of them for color guard. Of course, there are some wins and percussion ones, but I did not really look into that. So I will say that'll be for me for next week. <laughs> Susie is at the, uh, at the meeting. So hopefully we're going to be having her coming in with some updates about what passed and what discussions went on uh, whenever she gets back from that. So Keep your ears open for that recap. Good stuff. Steven, let's talk. Yeah, my news story this week is, uh, I think it's a big one to talk about. It certainly was blowing up in the percussion world, but not exactly a uh, piece of good news. Um, WGI released a statement on June 5th uh, where they said that their code of conduct states, our reputation depends on the conduct of all parties involved in WGI. Good manners, courtesy, and common sense are all required to ensure appropriate conduct and behavior. 
conduct or language that a reasonable person could perceive as rude, inappropriate, abusive, disorderly, derogatory, immoral, or threatening will not be tolerated. Uh, and they were making this statement because at the 2023 Percussion uh, World Championships, Infinity Percussion from Orlando, Florida, who admittedly, I, I was shouting them out for <laughs> months in a row, I feel like, on this episode. Um, they violated many of those principles with their behavior at retreat. Um, just many members, it's my understanding, uh, being intoxicated at, at retreat, I'm sure not all of them were of age. Um, and, and then also just being very uh, kind of just just rude and, and impolite uh, towards members of Music City Mystique's ensemble. Um, I heard there was a shopping following. cart involved. Is this true? There, there was. That one, <laughs> that one I feel like is uh, the less serious right. part of it. I think it's more about... Uh, like uh, the way they treated the members of the other ensemble. But yeah, they were literally rolling members out in a shopping cart down the tunnel at retreat. Um, where'd they even get the shopping cart? I, yeah, <laughs> there's that's, not a, that's there's, questionable. Also questionable behavior. <laughs> I really, there isn't a grocery store anywhere near, anywhere near WGI. <laughs> the more you think about it, the less sense it makes. But, um, yeah, no, it's 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 not a good look. Um, the ensemble will be on probation for the next two years as WGI works to make sure that they correct the culture inside their program. Um, fortunately, they do get to compete, which I think is uh, a, a fair compromise because the ensemble has been working so hard for years to reach the point where they finally were able to beat a group like MCM. And so I understand why, obviously, they were thrilled um, at retreat when the news breaks and they they beat a group that perennially for years is, is like impossible to, to get past. But I understand the enthusiasm, but we got to grow up and be a little more mature. That's really all it boils down to. It, really just see, knowing that there's consequences to how you behave in public is, mm -hmm. is really important to understand, I think personally. Yeah. And, and recognizing too, that it's a, it's a, activity full of children too like not young children necessarily but like you shouldn't be rolling yourself around in a in a shopping cart drunk at retreat like next to a bunch of high schoolers it's a mixed retreat um it's not a good look for wgi and it's not a good look for infinity either so did you see that um they infinity posted a kind of response to all of this yeah, I did. And I, I think it's good. They definitely seemed remorseful and willing to try to correct their own culture, um, which I think that was the right way for them to try to move forward. Um, so I'm interested to see. I hope they don't end up like struggling with membership next year. Hopefully they still get everyone back, still get people excited. Just maybe people are excited to uh, like level up the culture too. Well, Teresa has brought a news story with her. What do you got for us? Oh, okay. So my news story is about the All-American D-Day Band, uh, which had its inaugural performance uh, season, apparently. And this is from their, uh, I guess, their audition call. It says, you could be one of the 125 high school musicians selected from across our nation to be members of the inaugural All-American D-Day Band. Join Colonel Timothy J. Holton, music director, 
uh, to be a part of the premier concert band for the D-Day events in the Normandy region. And listen to this lineup. They had two nights in D.C., three nights in Normandy, three nights in Paris, a performance at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C., performances at the American Cemetery in Brittany, uh, and at the American Cemetery at Omaha Beach and Paris. And I think they ended their series with the big uh, celebration parade uh, uh, on D-Day, uh, I guess yesterday. It's, uh, so that's pretty, pretty exciting for some of those high school students. A really awesome opportunity, I think. Yeah, that's amazing. So that yeah. was like a marching band, like a, a collective marching band? Yeah, it's a, um, I guess, a, by audition, kind of like an all-star <laughs> band uh, that was touring all these different places to celebrate the this historical, you know, landmark. And things. they're going to do it again next year too. It says inaugural, so what I'm assuming is they are planning on doing this every year. And it mentioned in the um, in the article that they are the ambassador, the musical ambassadors for this event uh, in France. So I guess they're planning on keeping them as such for the coming up years. I have a news story and this is a follow-up also. Um, oh boy. Well, it's a good, it's a good one though. I feel like all of our follow-ups always end up being like, sad things, <laughs> but this is an awesome one. So we talked about the Tennessee state university marching band winning a Grammy well, now they are on their way to the White House. Wow. Uh, they are going to perform as part of the White House's celebration of Juneteenth. Um, oh. It's been an awesome year for this band. Like I said before, they, they won a Grammy. They performed in the Grand Ole Opry back in April. And they have been just all over the place. So Tennessee State University... Their marching band is just is just blowing up the airwaves. So keep an eye out for them. Love that. That's so cool. That would be such an awesome experience to be a part of. Also, something I'm wondering, if you're in a marching band that gets a Grammy, do you all get a little bit of that Grammy? Like, if you're like the third trumpet and there's like seven of you, <laughs> are you all Grammy Award winners? Like... <laughs> I think you are. It works that way with the Emmys. I can tell you that. Everybody gets an Emmy. If you touched a piece, everybody gets an Emmy. Wow. That's what I was thinking. It would be yeah. like that. Yeah. If you, the littlest bit of involvement, oh. you're a Grammy winner for that one. That's everybody so gets cool. Brains, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Nice. I'm jealous. I would, Wish Penn I State would keep had it that. on my piano. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Trish, since you are here hanging out with us today... Do you have any DCA news you would like to share with us? Just a little bit. I always like to shout out, of course, you know, my alma mater, the Bushwhackers, and I did get a little bit of tea this week. Um, so apparently their show, and I don't, ha I, I don't know if they formally announced it, but I can't, I don't want to get into that, but has a little snippet of Sunset Boulevard. And I was in the first, these uh, Bushwhacker Sunset Boulevard show in 1996. So all I'm really excited about that. And I think it's a really nice way to bridge, you know, getting all of it. Cause all of us that have, were in that show were really excited to go see it. And, you know, they're obviously taking it to another level and pushing the activity a little bit further than obviously than we did. So I'm really excited to see, I think it's a really great way to 
get the alumni involved and excited about it and running to come and see the core while, you know, keeping current with the activity and really taking another step forward. So I'm really excited about that. That is super cool. Yeah. Um, I love in DCA, especially there's such like a rich history going back and a lot of really passionate alumni. So like paying homage to those old shows, it's a great sign of respect, but also it's just really cool for the young kids that are like in high yeah. school getting into Bush now, like go back, look at some of the shows that we're like paying tribute to and, and see kind of what came before you. I love it. Okay, everyone, thanks for a great rehearsal this week. Thank you to our hosts, Stephen, Whitney, and Ashley, and our guest host, Teresa. You can follow her at Teresa K, that's K-A-Y-E, Newman, on her social media. Thank you, Chuck Henson. Find him at Chunk Hen Chuck Henson 1. That's just the number one. Um, and then thanks, Trish, for joining us today. You can find her at Trish Dish. 1002. I could not pronounce anything correctly tonight, apparently. Um, as well as Bill from at marching underscore pageantry underscore arts underscore museum, Joshua from the Drum Major Leadership Academy at DMLA Training, and Jeremy from at Drum Corps Today. Guys, go subscribe, write us a review, share this with a friend, follow us on social media at On a Water Break, and we'll see you at the next rehearsal on a water break. Bye, everyone. Go practice. Ha, ha, ha.